Welcome to the Mosaic Church Podcast, where we share with you the message of hope and love that lies at the core of the Christian faith. Our weekly sermons delve into the teachings of the Bible and how they can impact our daily lives, inspiring us to journey together towards a deeper understanding of God's infinite love. Join our community of believers as we embrace the power of faith and embark on a transformative spiritual journey. Mosaic Church in Mableton, Georgia exists to lead people to an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ to help them change the world. Now, please enjoy this message from Pastor Broderick Santiago, lead pastor of Mosaic Church. I'm so glad that you are here if this is your first time because you're in for a treat. We are today wrapping up the final part of the series that we've been doing entitled The Waiting Room. And if you've missed any part of it, I certainly urge you to catch up. Jump on the podcast. It's absolutely free. You know, we don't charge you for it. You just go download it, share it, record it, put it on disc, whatever. You can go on our website, www.wearemosaicchurch.org, and you can get the podcast and share it. We have weekly hundreds of people that listen to the podcast and download it. All around the world, as you see, it's not 100 people's here, people here. They're all over. They're listening and downloading it. So share it. Get caught up so you be in the loop. But really, the purpose of this thing is we are all in some sort of waiting room in our lives, right? And the waiting room is the place between where you are now and where you're headed. But that space where you're headed is always full of stuff. You become impatient, you, be, you, you, you get challenged in that space, you're stretched in that space. A lot of things happen in that space. And so over these weeks, we've been sharing with you how you can manage your, your waiting room, how you can get through that. And today, I'm going to wrap this up with talking about how you can begin a revival. I know that's a churchy term, it's old school, but real talk, revival simply is a resuscitation or a rebirth, if you will, or to revitalize. And so how we all can live uh, in this waiting room with a revival. Let me jump into some scripture and pray, and then we're going to jump right into some notes. If you need some notes, raise your hand, we'll get those to you. If you need something to write with, we'll also get that in your hands. Let me jump into some scripture. We're going to deal with the disciples here in Acts 1, verses 4 through 8. We find these words. Once when he was eating with them, this is Jesus, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised you as I told you before. In other words, wait right here until that promised gift comes. He says, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set the dates and times. They are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Eternal and gracious God in heaven, I thank you for this wonderful opportunity to be your ambassador. God, I stand before your people with this message, with this scripture, with these words. Oh, God, I pray today more than anything that I make sense of it to these people here. Oh, God, I pray that, that, that I am authentic in it. I don't need to add or take away from it because it's already perfect. 
But God, let me be articulate in my sharing. Let me be clear in what you have me to say. Let me look a lot like you and sound a lot like you so that the authenticity rolls freely from my tongue this morning. I pray, O oh God, that these words bypass the ears of those in attendance and rest solely on the hearts and the souls so that when we leave this place, we leave better than how we came. O oh God, I ask these things in the matchless name of your son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. If we understand the book of Acts, particularly our focus today will be Acts 1 through 26. They were told to wait in a place because something wonderful was about to happen. What was getting ready to happen and they had no idea was a revival, a revival that would set what we call today's faith as Christians on fire, a revival that would actually start and ignite a revolution. They had no idea what their weight was going to cause them to do, but they were obedient and did exactly what Jesus said to do. They waited. They waited. Let me tell you about waiting. In Acts 1, 1 through 26, it sets the atmosphere and raises the spiritual barometric pressure for what would become one of the greatest revivals known to man. Let me tell you what a revival is in case some of y'all are confused because y'all got that look on your face like, is this whole thing is going to be old school this morning? Perhaps. Revival, one of the definitions, and I really like this, it's an instance of returning Ooh, an instance of returning to life or consciousness, restoration of vigor or vitality. I'm going to stop right there. Here's what happens in Acts. Jesus ascends. The disciples are still standing there waiting, watching him. He's gone. He's out of their sight. He's out of their view. And the disciples are still standing there waiting. They lost their vitality. They lost their vigor because what they had known for the past three years, the man they had walked with, seen him perform great witness uh, miracles and have done some uh, miraculous things was gone. So they're standing there waiting as if he's going to come back, waiting, standing there waiting. And then the angel said, why are y'all standing there looking in the sky? In other words, why are y'all just standing there? The man gave y'all some things to do. He gave y'all marching orders, so get moving, get busy, and they're standing there, and they needed this revival to take place. So, they're standing there, and and here's what happens. They're standing there looking for their restoration, for their vigor to be restored and their vitality to be restored, but they're just standing there with blank faces. Let me show you, share what this word means, revival or restoration. The Greek word that describes exactly what's happening here in terms of the restoration is a word called anadzao. Anadzao is the word, anadzao. And anadzao means to live again, recover life, to be restored to a correct life of one who returns to a better moral state to revive, regain strength and vigor. Isn't that interesting that the Greek definition is similar to the American heritage definition? And here, here, here's what I want to point out, and we're going we're gonna to unpack this. I just want to start at this point about reviving and bringing back to vigor and vitality. Prior to this, they've been marching with Jesus. 
they came to arrest Jesus, and they were on fire and all this stuff. And even Peter was just like, you know what? I'm going to cut somebody's ear off. You ain't going to take my man. They're performing miracles. They're watching miracles. I mean, they're on fire for Christ. How many of you were like that at some point in your life? Right? And sometimes you feel like your fire is just dimmed a little bit. I remember when I first gave my life to Christ. I was so on fire. It was like anybody and everybody that, was, that I could talk to that would just give me their ear, I just couldn't help but share the good news, the gospel of what, was, what God was doing in my life. And then what was so exciting was like, if he can change me, if he can change me, a mess of a man, a person who didn't believe in God, a person who was just, just everything opposite what God was, who actually had hate in his heart, if he can change me, I'm willing to talk to everybody. I was on fire for him. But then there was a period where that fire kind of dimmed a bit. It began to almost just smolter. Just smoke was coming from it. Like it was almost gone. I left the church where I gave my life to Christ at, joined the big old mega church because I was attending their Wednesday night Bible study because it was so good. And I was like, man, where can I sign up to be in ministry? Well, you got to go through the new members orientation. Then after that, you got to do a spiritual gifts assessment. Then after that, you got to uh, be on probation for a year. I mean, it was like all kind of stuff. I, said, I just want to serve God. I want to continue where I was already at. I was serving him at this other church. I was involved in ministry. I was out in the street and I was handing out tracts and I was, you know, I was doing, evang- I was evangelizing. I was busy, but you're telling me I have to go through all of these steps, which is almost like a year process, just so I can serve the God that saved me. So my fire began to go. I wanted to join the music ministry. It was like five people that were already in front of me. That's not including the main guy. I said, well, let me work with the youth. Well, you got to do all of these different tracks. Well, first, did you uh, finish the first six tracks? You got to do a new members orientation. I was like, yeah. Okay, so now to, do, to work with the kids, you got to do a separate track. Why do I have to do? I just want to work for Christ. I want to disciple some people. I, I want to honor the Bible. I had to go through all these things in my fire. Went lower. And what happens is many of you who are sitting here, you've gone to churches and they were so programmed that you didn't get a chance to serve. You didn't get a chance to allow your light to stay lit. You didn't get a chance to add some fuel to your fire. You didn't get a chance to put a few coals on the fire to keep it lit. And so your fire began to dwindle. And what I'm saying is we all need a revival, a personal revival you need to revive some things when you were sitting there and in the Word and journal. I think I've spoiled many of you by actually handing, having the notes already set for you. I mean, y'all, who, who has a Bible with them today? I don't mean to put nobody on blast. God bless you. I knew, I knew T was going to be smart. And say, I got my phone. Okay, you got you version. Cool. Who actually has something with paper? That's exactly what I'm, at, what I'm asking. Right? We know that if I come to Mosaic, I'm going to have the notes. Whatever scripture Pastor B is going to talk about, they're going to be there. That's all I need. And I'm saying no. Get used to carrying, again, even if you're like Tia and you don't want to carry this thing, keep your sword on you. Keep your Bible with you. And let me share with you today what God really wants more than anything. God is not interested in what he can do through us. 
God is more interested in what he can do in us. He's not interested in what he can do through you. He's not, he, listen, if I, he, God is saying, if I can just fix what's on the inside of you, if I can revive what's already alive and well within you, if I can just ignite that fire again, if I can just light your pilot one more time because your pilot light has gone out, and that's what's happened. Your pilot light has gone out, so you just need somebody to go in there and light your pilot light to get that fire back going in. If I can just do something in you, then what, what will happen on the uh, outside will be organic. It don't require me to do anything through you. If I can just work on your inside, if I can just work on the reviving what's inside of you, God is more interested in what he can do in us than what he can do through us. Other thing I want to tell you while you're in your waiting room, God is preparing us for what he has already prepared for us. He's preparing each of us for what he has already prepared for us. You find yourself in this waiting room right now. You're getting a little impatient. You're ready to move to the next level. You, 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 you know, you're waiting to hear back from a job. You're waiting to hear back from a college. You're waiting to hear back from your boo. And God is like, just sit tight because what I'm trying to do, <laughs> what I want to do is, 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 is prepare you for what I already before you were born, before you were a thought in your mom and daddy's mind, I want to prepare you for what I have prepared already for you. I already have a table set for you. Your nameplate is on the table in your spot. You have a place already set, but you're not ready. Let me get you there because if I put you there right now, you don't have the capacity to handle where I'm going to send you. You're not ready yet. But let me prepare you for it and enjoy where you're at right now. Just sit here right now, and let's revive something within you. How do we do it? Here's how you start a personal revival. It begins with prayer. It begins with prayer. Pray is the number one thing. Start a personal revival. It starts with prayer. Today is going to be a little bit different. In the end, I'm actually even going to share some resources with you all so you can do some of the things that I do uh, in terms of uh, devotion and things. Acts 1, 14 says this. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and brothers of Jesus. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. I opened up this service talking about it's my fault. I know that we all pray, but we're not united. Sure, we all may pray about the same things. We all may be praying for the same person, but corporately we're not united in prayer. And if I, if I, if I may stretch a little further, we as a faith-based community are certainly not united in prayer. See, I may be praying for Mosaic Church and Mableton. Church around the corner may be paying, praying for church around the corner and Mableton. Church down the street may be praying for church down the street and Mableton. But how many of us are corporately praying together? How many of us pastors are calling each other first thing in the morning in this city saying, hey, let's pray for Mableton and the kingdom of God? That church is the only church that should matter. I had a conversation with a brother last night while we were at dinner and uh, I says, man, so many pastors are, when I meet other pastors, first question is, man, how's your church doing? Man, we're doing well. We're, you know, we're, we're growing. You know, God is blessing us. Man, what's your membership look like? I hate that question. Not because I'm ashamed of it. I'm very proud of 
what our membership looks like. I'm very proud of what our numbers look like. I says, but I don't want to always have that kind of conversation. Ask me a question like how many people are actually discipling other people in your church? Oh, I love that answer. How many people are actually making decisions that honor Christ with their lives in your church? Let's talk about that. Let's not talk about the number of people sitting in the seats. I I don't care about that number because when I get to heaven, God ain't going to say, how many people did you have in your congregation, pastor? God ain't going to say that. God is going to say, okay, I gave you this many people. I had you encounter this many people. And Broderick, I want to ask you this question. How many times did you share my gospel with them? That's what God is going to look at. He's not going to look at how many people were regular tithers. He's not going to ask that question. He's going to specifically ask me, remember that time that homeless man was there, he said he needed something to eat, and you ignored him because you thought he was going to use it for drugs. Uh, Why did you do that? Those are the questions that my God is going to ask me. He's not going to be concerned with how many uh, events Mosaic Church did. He's not going to be concerned with how many book bags did Mosaic hand out. He's not going to be concerned with those things. How many people did I disciple in my lifetime? So I hate when a pastor leads with those questions. And I flip it. I say, well, ask me how many marriages have been saved. Ask me how many people have decided to be baptized or how many babies were dedicated Ask me how many people are now uh, determined and dedicated to reading the Word daily and applying it to their lives. Let's talk about those numbers because those are the numbers that, as a pastor, I want to focus on because I'm certain that my great shepherd is focused on those same exact numbers. And the brother said to me, yeah, on the flip side, though, brother, man, you got a word on you, and I think everybody needs to hear it. And I says, I think everybody within my capacity needs to hear it. All that I can handle, God has given me. Anything beyond that, I'm not ready for. So I love my waiting room. This is actually pretty comfortable for me. But if it was 200 people, I would fail miserably because I'm not ready. My capacity's not there yet. I've not been stretched there. God is stretching me there, but I'm not there yet. And I'm comfortable in my skin. I'm not there yet. We need to be united in prayer, my brothers and sisters. We need to be united in prayer. They were, the disciples in this scripture were united not only in prayer, they were united in worship, they were united in fellowship. Can I tell you one of the greatest places to be if you're going to be in a waiting room? The local church. Oh, we got quiet in here. Hello, lights. Lights, let me tell you, the best place you can be is the local church. Oh, it got quiet. That's okay. That's all right. Tell your neighbor the best place you can be, say that now, is the local church. Is the local church. It's a loving community of believers that will hold you accountable. It's a loving community of believers that will say, baby, you are in the race. It's the loving community of believers that will say, don't wave your white flag yet. God's got one more lap for you yet. It's the loving community of believers that will say, yo, I'm down on hard times. Will you pray for me? It's a loving community of believers that say, when you just got the promotion, they're the first ones waving all the confetti and making the noise makers and hey happy day i'm glad for you this the ones that call you on your birthday not your facebook friends a loving community of believers that believe the same thing as you that believe in you and certainly believes in the god that you believe in 
The best place to be while you are in your waiting room is in a loving church community, a community that won't judge you if you make a mistake, but will hold you accountable and say, it's all good. Let me tell you what I did last year, and this is how I made it through it. People that are there with you in your good times and your bad times, people that are there with you in your height and in your valley, a loving church community is the place to be while you are in the waiting room. That's good to me. That's, that's good preaching right there. I should stop right there, but a lot of people don't want to hear that type of stuff. I get that. That makes sense to me. A word for prayer, when we talk about prayer and supplication, and see, I got two Greek words for you. I'm, I'm really stretching. I've been really studying this week. It's like all this Greek. I'm going to start just preaching in Greek and Hebrew next week, Ryan, you down? Huh? All right, man. I'm actually taking a Hebrew course right now. It's powerful, man. It's hard as I don't know what, but I'm, I'm just trying to stretch so that when, the capa- when God blesses, I got the capacity. You know what I mean? Anyway, the, pr- the word for prayer, Greek word for prayer, supplication, it's a New Testament word. I love it. Deasis. Deasis. That's it. Deasis. Deasis. And this is what deasis means. Seeking, asking, entreating God. Seeking, asking, entreating God. When I step away from here, before I come out here to preach, I go into a little place, I kneel down on this carpet, and I'm seeking God. I'm not just giving God no pity prayer. God bless this service in the name of Jesus. I'm like, God, where are you? I I can't even step up to that podium or that pulpit today if you are not with me. Where are you? I'm looking for him in the daylight with a flashlight because I need him more than anything for him to speak through me. I need him inside of me. I need him to completely transform me so that I'm not thinking about uh, my daughter, my little two-year-old daughter running around this building while I'm preaching, while I'm not thinking about what's going to happen all week. I'm not thinking about my yesterday. I'm not thinking about what happened to my friend this morning in the text message I got. I'm not thinking about any of that. I'm only thinking about what God's assignment is for me in this moment. I am seeking him. How many of us do that? Like, really, when we pray, like, Get to a point where it's like, God, I really want to hear you audibly. It would freak somebody out even to ask that. That's why some of y'all don't do it. I don't, want, I don't want to hear you. Just show me in a sign or something that you hear what I'm talking about. Don't, don't say it audibly. That might freak me out, you know. You might sound like Darth Vader or something, you know. Nikki, I hear you. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, I didn't want that. But I've gotten to a place in my prayer life where I was, you know, Y'all hear me talk often, and I've shared this story about my wife and I. Early in my faith walk, I was surrounded with a couple brothers. We called ourselves the king's men. We were, you know, the men of the king, you know, Jesus Christ. And we would get together and have these prayer meetings. And they lasted for hours. And my wife, I promise you, and my brother's wives, because my wife is a witness, they've shared that they didn't believe it either. But we would get together, read two or three scriptures, real talk, two or three scriptures, 
And we would not, the rest of the time, for two or three hours was just prayer. I mean, we're laid out on the floor. Sometimes we're up walking around, just the three of us, just making all kind of noise and just crying and weeping and just, we were seeking God. We wanted him to show up, stand there, look at us, high-five us as we were praying, touch us while we were laying on the floor. We were seeking him like never before. Seeking him, desperate for him, calling on him. I just want to see him. Not, not that either of us was stressed out. We just wanted to touch him and see him. We wanted to be right there with him. That's why, we, that's why the prayers lasted so long. We weren't getting up until we had an encounter. How many of you have done that? Just prayed until actually you had an encounter. That's tough. Why? Because... While you're praying for that encounter, your mental self, your carnal mental self all together is like, tick, 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 I got to get up for work. Tick, 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 I got to make breakfast. Tick, 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 I wonder what traffic's going to be like. Tick, 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 is that rain I hear? Oh, it's going to be crazy. Tick, 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 tick. And all of a sudden, while you were waiting, you're pulling further and further and further back. Now I understand when they say get into a prayer closet. I really thought they were just being, you know, that was a metaphor or something like that. Just getting, But I realized that today in my life, I actually have to go into the closet and lock the door, the real closet, because it's the only place I can hide from the noise and distractions and pray until something happens. Sometimes I pray so hard. I'm like, God, I want you to shake the house so I know you're listening. I, and I, I think it may have happened once. Maybe. Or maybe it was just me wanting it to that bad. But get into a place where you are praying until something happens. I love to pray. That's one of my greatest things. I was with a brother on the plane coming back Tuesday morning, and, and uh, you know, he's very friendly. He just kept, uh, you know, trying to get my attention. And so I finally decided to engage him. I was really into my Esquire magazine. It was a really good issue dealing with watches and stuff, and I don't have a timepiece, so I was really excited. And uh, it was a good article. And uh, the brother just kept, you know, can I get you some water? They come by with water. I'm like, all right, he wants to engage me in conversation. He says, all right, let me, let me put this down. And I says, man, so are you traveling? You know, are you from Atlanta? Where are you going? And are you from New York? And so we talked. And he says, man, I'm flying back from Canada. And he begins to tell me his story. He's retired and yada, yada, yada. And then uh, he starts telling me he's Catholic. And so we, we were, t- and he says, what do you do? course, they asked that question because I was rocking my bow tie. So I looked important. I looked like I belonged where I was at. And so I says, well, I'm a pastor, you know, and a, a musician, and I sell real estate. And uh, he, we laughed, and we carried on. And so we started talking, and he explained why he was coming from Canada. His wife, you know, they retired, but they own a house in Florida. And course, they still own their property in Canada. His wife has gotten to a point where she can't fly anymore. I mean, where she can't, sorry about that. The son is afraid of flying. She can't drive anymore. They used to take the drive. And so he flew her there earlier, flew back uh, to, no, he drove his son back to Canada and then flew back from Canada and was headed home. And he's telling me his wife has uh, some kind of disease. I can't remember what it was, but it's, it's really, really tearing her apart. And he's like, any time now. I think it's severe arthritis, but it's in like a very peculiar spot. And uh, he says, yeah, it's getting worse. And so what we're trying to do is just travel everywhere and anywhere we can right now. And So I says, man, uh, 
you know, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. Do you mind if I pray for you? And he's like, right now? And I was like, yeah. I mean, because what will happen is you and I will keep talking. We'll become BFF. We'll become best friends. We'll start talking about vacations and our families. And the next thing you know, we'll be leaving this plane, and I won't pray for you. Not that I'll forget, but we just got caught up in another conversation. We were distracted. And he says, sure. And I prayed right there for him, right there on the plane. And right in front of me is this huge, big old guy, played for the Florida Gators. There's about four, four Florida Gator players on the plane with this big old guys. He's sitting in front of me, and he's like, thank you. And I says, thank you. He says, I heard your prayer, and I needed that too. So the guy in front of me was blessed by the public prayer. The guy I intentionally was praying for was blessed by, I hope his wife is doing well. Prayer, I love to pray. Every time, either one of y'all, y'all say, hey, I'm traveling, I pray for you right there. It's, a prayer is such a, a wonderful thing. You know why I like it? Can I tell y'all why I like it? Not because it makes me feel good, because I know it works. It doesn't make me feel good to pray for you. I know it works. Y'all tell me it works. Y'all tell me it works. And I'm like, wow, God, you, you still doing this thing, huh? Second thing you can do to start a personal revival is study. Is study, 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 study. Uh, uh, Acts 16, 1 through 6, 1, 16 through 20 says this. Brothers, he said, this is Peter now talking. The scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Judas had bought a field with money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. That's just yucky. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Akeldama, which means field of blood. Then Peter continued. This was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. Man, that's so deep. Can I tell you what's so deep about what I read? And I just really exegeted it means I studied this text. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in anybody's uh, commentary, nowhere in the history of the church do they say that Peter was a religious man that read the Bible regularly. Nowhere does it say he attended the synagogue regularly. Nowhere does it say he was a man of great scripture. I've searched. I've looked everywhere. All we know about Peter are a few things. Peter was a fisherman. Peter was married. How do I know that? Because in Matthew 8, uh, Jesus uh, healed, or was it 18? 8 or 18? one of them. He healed his mother-in-law, so we know he was married. We know he had a brother. We know he was called another name. We know those things, but we don't know if he was a religious man. And here he is. The, uh, Jesus has ascended. He decides to take on the, the, the office of leader here. And because of the Holy Spirit, he's now dropping Scripture, steps into the role of a leader, and is speaking uh, it shows, tells me here also that he studied during this time of waiting. He studied Scripture. How do I know? Because he's quoting it. How do I know? He's, he's quoting it. That's the only way. And why was he quoting it at this time? Think about it. You got to wonder, like, yo, this dude has been with us for three years, and all of a sudden he just, like, trades 
on Jesus. He, he, he turns them in. He, he, he sets them up. Why, would, you know, why is this going on? And what do we do? Are we out of order? He asks all these questions. And they, they, they've got to be confused. So Peter steps up as the leader and says, you know what? You know what? Check this out. We need to get back in order. Let me start by quoting Scripture. Let me do what I saw my master do. Let me do what I saw the teacher do. Let me quote some Scripture to set y'all up, and then I'm going to give you the rest of it. Peter began expounding the Old Testament Scriptures, which foretold the betrayal of Judas. The only way he could know these things is if he studied. If he studied. There's a group of women here in this church that I'm so envious of. That's our Mosaic Women's Group. Not because y'all had a delicious brunch on yesterday and didn't send pasta, a biscuit, and none like that. No, no, no. Not because y'all barely beat us in uh, taboo. No, no, no. I'm envious because, and this is a good envy. Right now, these sisters are involved. They're not just getting together, hanging out. Sure, they're having girl talk, but they're currently doing a New Testament survey. They're studying the Word. They're unpacking the Word. They're studying the entire New Testament, a New Testament survey, breaking it down Scripture by Scripture, line by line, asking questions, say, well, why did this happen? And what was the Trinity about? And, and why did this go on? And what was Paul doing? And what was P-? They're asking real questions. They are currently involved in a study. These are the numbers I like to share with my pastors. My pastor friends, they say, well, what, what numbers? Well, I got a group of women that are meeting right now doing a New Testament survey. What is your small group doing? Oh, they get together and sow. And what are they sending the products that they sow? They're selling it. They're not giving it to the people in foreign lands. You know, anyway, I digress. I'm not going to talk about nobody else's church. Bottom line, what I'm saying is that's what I love about this church. We're serious about studying the Word. We're serious about fellowship. We're serious about holding each other accountable. We're serious about being about God's business. It's what I love about this community of believers. It's what I love about it. I'm not trying to convince any of y'all who are visiting to leave your church, but this is just some of the stuff we do here. I didn't even know y'all was going to be here, so it just wasn't a setup or anything. Study the Word. Study it. Get with some people to study it. Ask them some real questions. And that's another thing here. You're, we, we're fine with you asking questions. Sometimes some people in this audience will ask me a question while I'm preaching, and I'll answer it. Right, Sam? Well, I, I'm just asking. He knows. He's the one. So anyway, first thing, to start a personal revival, you have to pray. Second thing, you have to study. Here's the third thing. You want to start that revival. You got to get to work. You have to work. You have to do something. You have to work. Acts 1, 21 through 26 says this. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias, then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry. For he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots. Matthias was selected to become an apostle with their eleven. They worked. 
They didn't just sit there. He said, wait in this place. He said, stay put here. Don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes. What they could have done was just chill. What they could have done is continue to sit there and look up in the sky. What they could have done is just chilled out, continue to break bread, dab each other up, play Monopoly and Taboo. What they could have done was all of those things, but instead they got to work. They looked and said, you know what? There's a reason Jesus chose 12 of us. Currently, we are only 11. We are out of order. We need to be in divine order according to God's plan. So we need to vote somebody back in. Let's get to work. Let's get to work. The only way a revival is going to start, it's not going to start by you just praying. It's not going to start by you just studying. It's going to start by you praying, studying, and doing some work. It was imperative that they remained in the proper order according to the Bible and tradition. It is extremely important. This is important. It is extremely important while you are going through in your waiting room. It is extremely important to be surrounded by the right people. You see, it is extremely important to be by people that's going to hold you up and not pull you down. It is extremely important to be with people that are connected with the same loving God that you are connected with. See, where you're going, you can't just take anybody. See, at the end of your waiting room, as you exit, you're going to a whole different place. And it ain't for weak people. It ain't for people that's got always negative things to say. It's not for people who are not prepared. Where you're going, you need to have the right people with you, the people that can handle your blessings and know that if I just keep on hanging to you, I'm going to get some of that. There's going to be a transference of the same type of anointing if I just hang with you. Or I'm going to dap you. I'm going to cheer you. I'm going to be your best cheerleader you can have. I'm going to be the best corner man you can have. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to be hating because you got blessed. And many of us have sat in our waiting room so long, we, be, we begin to attract other people that don't belong in the same court as we do. We begin to invite people in our inner circle who should not have been in our outer circle in the first place. We invite people in who are so disconnected. You know when the Bible says you need to be equally yoked? He wasn't just talking about a spouse. He's talking about your friends. And we just yoke ourselves to anybody who will hear our sorrows while we're in this waiting room, and we need to not do that. It's extremely important to have the right people in your circle while you are in your waiting room. Why? Because they will be eyewitnesses to how God blesses you. And being an eyewitness causes them to share what has happened with you. Watch this. You got the right people. You're in your waiting room. You ain't complaining. You're praying. You're studying the word. You're in your waiting room, and you know it's been years, and they're watching you, and you just giving all praise to God. In the process, they're transforming, and they're like, you know what? This is how you're supposed to wait. This is how you're supposed to deal with strife. This is how you're supposed to deal with difficulty. Oh, I get it, baby. Let me do the same thing. And then in the end, when you're blessed, they're like, and it really worked. And it really worked. They were patient. They believed. They prayed. They studied. They kept a smile on their face. They served God while they were in a waiting room. And guess what? God blessed them beyond what they could ever imagine. Oh, it works. I'm going to do the same thing. Now, you've become a disciple in the process. You've become a disciple in the process. Here's what I love about this. We don't know Peter's background prior to this. Right? And I don't think Peter knew what he was signing up for. 
But do you know that in this process, when he exited, when they left that room, if we go to Acts 2, and I'm going to read that to you in a minute, if we go to Acts 2, they did all that God said, Jesus said to him, he says, go, stay there till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So they did that. And while they were in this waiting room, they, they did some things. They, they worked, they studied, they prayed together, they ate together, they fellowshiped together. So at the end, we go to the next chapter, chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. Boom! What happens with Peter? Did you, do you think Peter knew he was going to be like a preacher? See, see, Peter was like the T.D. Jakes and, 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 and all of them, the Joel Osteen, the Andy Stanley all in one. Peter got up there. Stood there, the Holy Spirit came upon him. People, I mean, he came at the right time because they were having a festival at the time. So there's a whole lot of people that spoke different languages. And Peter, after the Holy Spirit comes upon him, steps out all bold, his chest sticking out. He grabbed the microphone and he just started dropping it like it was hot. He had a hoop in him. People were falling out, being slayed in the Spirit. People were running and shaking. Oh my God, he preached like never before. He started a major revival, which turned into a major revolution, which we call Christianity today. Do you think he knew that that was going to happen? No, but he was obedient while he was in the waiting room. He was just in while he was in the waiting room. He did everything that he was told to do, left there. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and he started a revolution. Some of y'all are in your waiting room right now. You've been there for a minute. You've been holding on. You've been reading your word, studying your word. You've been serving at your church. You've been serving in your community. You've been doing everything right. You got one more lap to go. You don't even know how you're about to exit this exit room, this waiting room. But I'm about to tell you right now, when you exit, I promise you some things that's going to happen in your life that you didn't even know was within you. Because you've been patient, because you've been steadfast, because you didn't quit at the last lap, because you've remained firm in the Word of God, some amazing things are going to happen. There's some stuff in you that you don't even know God planted in you yet. The seed has been there. He's been fertilizing it, and, and, and now you are getting ready to exit your waiting room. Are you ready? Are you ready? You don't even know you've been stretched. You now have the capacity for God to do a little bit extra. You don't even know what's been happening. You've been doing it so long, you don't even feel the pain anymore. You're numb to all that's going on. But when you exit, baby, are you ready? Are you ready? Peter had no idea what he was getting ready to do. How do I know? Watch this. When Jesus came back, where did he find him? Fishing. He didn't find them praying. He didn't find them preaching. He found them what? Fishing. Doing what he knew he could do. That's the one thing he knew he could do better than nobody. He was the man at it. And then he becomes obedient. Goes and does what God says do. Holy Spirit comes upon him and he starts a revolution. Y'all are sitting here today claiming to be Christians because of what this man did. A fisherman who became a fisher of men. Ooh, that's good to me. That's good to me this morning. That's good to me. When you, in, when you exit your waiting room, you leave different than when you came. Remember, God is preparing you for what he has already prepared for you. You just don't know what he's prepared for you. I can preach it to you all day. I can talk to you about it all day. I can give you examples, biblical examples of what's going to happen all day. But until you experience it for yourself, you don't know. We can only guess. Y'all know I didn't know I was going to be a preacher. I went home. Watch this. This is crazy. I, it was crazy. I'm, I'm being honest. Let me tell you. My first time going home as a pastor, 
I went home uh, to, to bury my father's uh, godfather, my grandfather, and my uncle asked me, who's now, you know, he's studying the Jewish faith, and uh, he asked me, says, man, you're the oldest grandson. Can you speak uh, tribute in, in, uh, on behalf of the family? I was like, I'd be honored to. I got there on the program. They had Reverend Broderick Santiago, and I see people looking at the program, and they're like, my nickname back home is Brody. Like, Brody, a preacher now? Brody? Come on, Brody? They're looking at it like, where he at? There he is with the bow tie. Yeah, hey, 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 hey. Listen. They looked at me like that because, like, I didn't know that was what God was going to call me to do. Neither did they. Not that I was that much of a cut-up, but it was really far from where the last time they saw me. See, most of them, and particularly the pastor of the church, who, who, who's a phenomenal speaker, uh, last time they saw me, I was uh, five percenter. Last time they saw me, I was like, no, I'm not with that Jesus stuff. Last time they saw me, you couldn't even mention Christ in my presence. The last time they saw me, now they see me at my grandfather's funeral, and I'm a speaker. And so I got up there and almost started preaching. As a matter of fact, a hoop suddenly came over me. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. It just hit me. Oh, hallelujah. Huh, Ron? You know how that is. It felt good being there for those people who knew me where I was before to see me become the man that God called me to be. I had no idea that I would ever return back home and be in the pulpit as a pastor. No idea. Like Peter had no idea that he was going to be preaching a great revolution. Like you don't have no idea what God has in store for you once you exit your waiting room. But you just have to be obedient in the process and be ready, ready, ready for what he's going to call you to do. You think you may know, but you have no earthly idea. I promise you, I say that, but y'all must not believe me. Pastor was so not a part of Broderick's game plan, not a part of it. Ministry, perhaps. Pastor, no. But oh my God, what a God we serve. Who am I to say no when he says yes? Who am I to question what he has planned for me? Who am I to question his authority or his decision-making? Who the heck am I? I'm nobody but obedient servant. That's all that I am. All right, here it is. Real quick, I'm done right here. I want to give you something. Here's some resources I want you to do. It's in your notes. I'm going to run through it really fast, really, really fast. This is how you can do all of this and start a personal revival that can ultimately become a revolution in your community, in your church, in your neighborhood or whatever. Watch this. I do a Bible study called SOAP, okay? SOAP is an acronym for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. Do this daily for 10 to 15 minutes. Sometimes it may be a little bit longer. And basically what it is, it starts with you need a devotion. We, we have them free here. So you can use one of ours. It's absolutely free. You don't have to pay for it. You need a journal because you need to write down what you're observing and how you can apply it to your life. And you need a Bible. Now, I recommend, this is my personal recommendation. You don't have to follow it. We, at this church, we read the New Living Translation. Okay? We use that because it's more uh, clo- it's much closer to our common vernacular than the King James Version. You know, we don't talk like that. You know, when I greet you, I don't say, how art thou this morning, Maureen? Thou it as well. We don't talk like that. That's old King James. We speak, hey, how you doing? What's good? What's going on? How you doing? I mean, you know, whatever. And New Living Translation is close to that, okay? So that's why I recommend that. You, the Bible becomes alive to you in reading it. So rec- I recommend that. Uh, get yourself a study Bible, 
that helps as well. My wife, I have one, which is this one right here. This one is, like, incredible. Um, I've been exposed. My wife took it to their women's group, and she shared it with them. They're like, oh, he's a fraud. We thought he was just that deep, you know, because in here, you know, stuff that I preach about, all the answers are here in the Bible, in the, in the study guide here. So, but it's not that I'm cheating. It's just that your pastor actually studies and prepares to preach. Amen. I'm actually studying and preparing. I'm not just getting up guessing. You're like, Holy Spirit, speak this morning. So, what I want to talk to y'all about today is the Lord. He heard my cry. And Jesus, what? <laughs> that's not, you know, that's not what I'm doing. I'm studying. I'm preparing. I'm letting God speak through his words so that I can present them to you. So, get you a good study Bible. Um, so, it's, uh, Scripture, uh, S is for Scripture. Physically write out the Scripture verses. So, if you're reading a devotion or whatever that scripture is, write it down. Write it down. Write it down. Here's what happens when you write it down. One, it goes to your memory bank. You remember it. When you write something down, especially repetitiously, it goes to your memory bank. Secondly, um, as you write it down, certain words will pop out to you. That's God speaking. Look at that word. What, okay, what are you saying about that? It could be love. It could be whatever it is, okay? Second thing, uh, observation. What do you see in these verses that you're reading? What popped out at you? What, what was like that aha moment? Who is the audience? Perhaps that's just the revelation. Like, oh, so I thought he was speaking to just the Jews. He was speaking to the Gentiles and the Jews. Like, how many of you knew that when, when Jesus fed the 5,000, that happened more than once? He fed Gentiles, and then he fed, uh, he fed the Jews, then he fed the Gentiles. Many of us didn't know that. You know, because it's been preached to us. We haven't studied on our own, but he did two feedings. One was for 5,000, one was 7,000. 7,000 Jews, 5,000 were the Gentiles. What does that say? At that moment, he was saying that, you know, this is available to everybody. It's an open table, not just the Jews anymore. See, we, this studying will, will, will teach you that. Uh, application. Now, how does this word apply to my life? How can I do this right away today? Now, sometimes the application is not directly for you. It's work for you. In other words, it didn't work for me, but I remember uh, my mother said something about this, and man, this scripture is perfect for her for what she's going through, or my cousin or my neighbor, blah, 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 blah. Okay? Prayer. Okay? Self-explanatory. Self-explanatory. Pray that God's word, pray his word back to him. Pray his word back to him. God, thank you for your word. Thank you how you revealed it to me. Help me understand it and apply it to my life today. And finally, these, there are websites listed there that I use daily. Y'all want to learn some of this Greek and Hebrew stuff? I get it right from these websites. Yeah, I'm giving all my secrets today to you because I don't want to be the only one preaching. Ron, he's up next week, okay? I'm joking. <laughs> Those are the, these are the things that I use, so I hope that they work for you as well. Thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that Pastor B said something that moves you closer to Jesus. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, we would like to invite you to follow us on social media at Mosaic Mableton and visit us on our website at wearemosaicchurch.org. You can learn more information about our church, ways to support our ministry through financial donations, stay updated on upcoming events, and find resources to support your spiritual journey. We would be delighted to welcome you in person on Sunday mornings to worship and connect with others, our doors are always open to those seeking a place to grow and explore their faith. Thanks for tuning in and may God bless you on your spiritual journey.